Hey folks, my name's Andy Sido. I'm a singer, songwriter, performer, producer, composer in Denver, Colorado. Welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is Denver-based talent buyer, Tony Mason. I'm very pleased to have Tony back on the show for the second time. He was on for the first time back on March 19th of 2020. Uh, he, we did the interview a couple weeks before then, obviously. Um, and at the time, he was getting ready to move to Dallas. To In fact, that week, he was getting ready to go look at, uh, go look at some apartments. He's moving to Dallas to book for uh, Gas Monkey Live. And that was going to be a new thing for him. Tony's been in Denver forever. If you're, a, if you're an artist or band, if you're in Denver and you're in the music industry, you know Tony Mason. And uh, he's, he's one of those people that, that you know. Because he's been around forever. He, he went to see you Denver, um, was in bands, and, and then realized that he liked putting together the show more than actually playing. He realized that he enjoyed the booking, the printing of flyers, the promoting, the paying the bands out. And uh, so he, he went headfirst into that career, started Tone Dynamics, um, and he was booking at places like Old Curtis Street Pub, which is no longer there, and just putting local bands into venues. Uh, he would hit up venues and say, hey, do you have any open dates? Let me let me put bands in there. And I, I played several um, I played several rooms that he was booking um, when he was first getting his first getting his business started. He eventually uh, wound up at Herman's Hideaway being their talent buyer. And then he became the talent buyer uh, at Lost Lake Globe Hall and Larimer Lounge. And uh, He's just been doing it for years, but now he's kind of has a new role. The pandemic came around. He gave up his job to move to Dallas. The move to Dallas didn't work out. We're going to hear all about that in just a second. So he was stuck really with with nothing to do and um, ended up getting some opportunities um, here in town. And now he's with Bandwagon Presents. And he's booking venues all over the place through Colorado and Wyoming and we talk about in the episode something that he calls the pipeline and that's uh basically a circuit through colorado and wyoming on i-25 where bands can play multiple uh venues on their run and they're calling it the pipeline the i-25 pipeline the colorado wyoming pipeline whatever you want to call it but it's a really neat concept uh to be a band and be able to just drive maybe a couple hours every day and play several shows some of the venues that he's booking now, we're going to talk about um, all of these, but just just in a list. Uh, the Black Sheep in Colorado Springs. And by the way, he's not the exclusive booker for all these, but these are just some of the venues that um, he, he puts bands in as of, you know, as of now. The Black Sheep in Colorado Springs. Vultures, also in Colorado Springs. The Mesa Theater in Grand Junction. Black Buzzard, HQ, and the Oriental Theater in Denver. The Moxie Theater in Greeley, as well as Stella's Pinball Arcade, which is underneath the Moxie, is just a 50-cap room, and they do small comedy shows and, um, you know, singer-songwriters, things like that. The Coast in Fort Collins, which used to be the downtown artery. Uh, Terry Bison Ranch and Terry Bison Meeting Hall, which is right on the Colorado-Wyoming uh, border. The Lincoln in Cheyenne and the Outlaw Saloon, also in Cheyenne. The Beacon Club in Casper and the Wyo Theater 
in Sheridan. So it was a wonderful conversation. And if you want to hear more about Tony and uh, where he was at a couple years ago at the start of the pandemic, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that episode from March 19th, 2020. I believe it was 32, although when the interview starts, I'll, I have it in front of me and I say exactly what episode it is. But it's it's uh, wonderful to listen to that too because you can hear where he was at in his career then and then you can fast forward two years and see what he's done to adjust uh, for unforeseen circumstances. So it's interesting and uh, I'm proud of him for figuring it out and and continuing to do what he loves and he's and he's able to stay in Denver as well. I do want to say that this was uh, one of not many episodes that's been done over the last few years or the last two years in person. He was my last in-person interview before the pandemic when he did the conversation end of February, beginning of March of 2020. And I've had, I think, just one in-person, maybe two um, this year. But Tony came over. We caught up. We hadn't seen each other in person since the last time he was on the podcast. We went out for sushi at, uh, I think it's called Eni Eni Mini. Eeny meeny, I'll look it up. But we went out and got some sushi across the street from my house at Eeny meeny sushi roll. It was really good. Came back and uh, and did the interview, and he brought his new dog Roscoe over, who's just the cutest little pup you've ever seen. He played with my dog Maggie, and you'll hear some of that in the background. And I think we'll be able to EQ a lot of it out. Uh, but there's going to be some barking noises here and there. But it, but it's all in good fun. And I also got to poke fun at Tony because cute little Roscoe did a doo-doo in my kitchen. But that's okay. He was a very well-behaved puppy. And um, he, may, he almost made it to the end. But it's all good. We got it cleaned up. It was on the wood floor. Quick thanks to our sponsors, Patrick at PQ Mastering. Patrick puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, thanks to Narrator Music. Visit narratorrf.com for simple and affordable licensing for sync. Here's my conversation with Tony Mason. Welcome back to Middle Class Rockstar. Thank you for having me. Happy to be back, hanging out with my bud, Andy yeah. Sado. Yeah, man. It's great to see you. We... <clears throat> I think probably the last time we hung out was the last time you were on the show. Yep. Which we just looked was episode 32, and it aired on March 19th of 2020. We did the interview uh, beginning of March, and, uh, you know, this was So wasn't much a thing has yet. changed since then. So much has changed. Yes. Um, well, so I wanted to get you back on because you've got a new job and a new role in the industry. Uh, well, same job, but new place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also because right bef when we talked the first time, you were about uh, to move to Dallas for a new talent buying job. Yeah. And uh, there was so much new with you and none of it, none of it ended up being able to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> Our dogs are, are uh, uh, having a play date in the background. So they're <laughs> having so much fun. That's yes, yeah, so that's the nature of it. We're happy. So we're going to leave it as is. And hopefully they don't make too much noise for you. But anyway, Tony, what's uh, I don't know. Fill us in, I guess, a little bit just on what you do and. And, uh, yeah, you know, so <clears throat> name is Tony Mason. I'm a concert booker, promoter, talent buyer. 
Um, my job is to book shows and put together events and make successful concert engagements happen. Um, as you know, most people know, for the last eight years before the pandemic hit, I was a <clears throat> manager, talent buyer, lead talent buyer for Lost Lake, Larimer Lounge, and Globe Hall. And after eight long years of doing that position, I got offered a new job in Dallas, Texas in December of 2019, and I accepted it. Um, and I was really excited about it, you know, because Lost Lake, Larimer Lounge, and Globe Hall, as amazing of venues those are, they're only 250 capacity. And it's a small venue, which means smaller shows, smaller off or offers, smaller numbers. Um, and then I got the offer for Gas Monkey, and Gas Monkey Live is 2,500 capacity, and Gas Monkey Barbecue is 1,500 capacity. So it's way bigger venues, it was a bigger job, bigger pay, bigger shows, bigger everything. You know, everything's bigger in Texas, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I wasn't necessarily excited about leaving Colorado because I love Colorado so much, and this is where I've been for the majority of my life. Um, and I'm kind of more of like a cold-weathered mountain boy and not a fan of the heat and humidity. Uh, but I am a fan of, you know, having an amazing job and being well taken care of. And I was really excited about the move to Dallas for the new job, for the new city, for the new people, for the new food, new culture, just everything, you know, a little change up in life. And I was ready for it. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. And it happened... Uh... I mean, right, literally right as this was all happening. And I know that you uh, you told me that you were out looking for houses on, you know, March 12th or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Or out looking at apartments uh -huh. in Dallas. Yep. So what was that like? You're out there. You're about to move out there. You're signing a lease on an apartment. And then you realize um, the world's ending and you have to get home before the flights get canceled. I mean, what, what was yeah, that all was about? Such a crazy experience, man. And just the, the ups and downs and being so happy about it and watching it all get kind of wiped under the rug. It was just absolutely insane. But yeah, I mean, um, I had all of my Colorado jobs that I officially was done working on January 31st. So like middle of January, I turned in my two weeks notice to all my jobs, told them I was leaving and going to Texas. And then on January 31st was the last day of work for any of my Colorado jobs. And then on February 17th, I technically started working for Gas Monkey, getting into their systems, writing offers, learning about how they do everything, learning their systems. And from February 17th to March 9th, I just worked remotely from my apartment in Denver. And then on March 9th, they flew me down to Dallas to go apartment hunting and prepare myself for the move. And so I went down there and I spent four days there apartment hunting. I visited like something close to 25 different properties because... You know, I was moving to a new city that I wasn't necessarily excited about moving to Texas itself again because I'm not like a big fan of warm weather and humidity. And I knew I was going to a place where I didn't know anyone. So I was like, I just want to have a sweet apartment. Like if I'm going to make this move to Dallas from Colorado, I just want to make sure I have an amazing place to live, to be happy in. And yeah. so March 9th, fly down there, visit 25 different properties, found a property right in downtown Dallas that I was so excited about and I signed a lease on it to start on May 15th was the start date 
And then on Thursday, March 12th, I remember that was the day that I signed the lease and I went to my hotel and my mom called me and she's like, are you watching the news and hear what's going on? And I was like, I'm not not paying too much attention. And she was like, watch the news right now. And, you know, this is Thursday, March 12th, 2020, the day everything's kind of starting to unfold and they're announcing everything's getting canceled and flights are getting canceled. And my mom was telling me, like, I just hope you can even make your flight home tomorrow. And so Friday, March 13th, sure enough, I had like a 10 a.m. flight and my flight made it out. So my flight is at 10 a.m. and... Thankfully, I made it out because all the flights after my flight didn't make it out. And we were one of the only Frontier flights to make it out, or maybe it was Southwest, to make it out of Dallas on Friday, March 13th, when everything else was getting canceled. Wow. And, uh, you know, so it was like nobody knew what was coming down the pipeline for us and what was happening. And as I come home, you know, Gas Monkey is telling me, don't worry, you're still going to have your job. This is temporary. Even if we have to shut down for the next six to eight months, we can handle that. It's not a big deal. We've got enough in the bank account to survive this. Um, and so, yeah, my, my move was scheduled for May 15th. And that was kind of the story through March and April from Gas Monkey was everything's good. It's going to be fine. We're going to get through this. Uh, you still have your job. And I was still on payroll. And I was working, unfortunately, more on canceling shows than confirming shows at the time because of the nature of things. And then on May 10th, I get a call from Gas Monkey five days before my move, and they say, pump the brakes, hold on, let's not do this yet. Let's wait till the end of the summer. This COVID thing is lasting longer than we thought, and we just want to see how much longer this is going to go on before we uproot your life and move you to Texas and do this. And so they're like, how about we schedule the move for the end of summer or, you know, maybe like July 31st, August 1st ish. And I agreed. Yeah, let's do that. Um, And so I was still on their payroll and I was still, you know, working remotely from Denver through May and even into June. And then at the end of June, the call came and that was the call telling me that they were furloughing me, removing me from payroll letting me know that my health insurance was going to expire in the next 60 days and basically dropping the news on me that they were permanently closing Gas Monkey Live, which was one of the two venues I was hired to book down there. So that's half my job gone. Yeah. <clears throat> but through, la- or through the summer of 2020, they kept saying, don't worry, we're going to get through this. And our plan is spring of 2021, we're going to rebuild Gas Monkey Live on the same property as Gas Monkey Barbecue and Grill because it's Texas and the plots of property are massive and Gas Monkey Barbecue sits on this big piece of land and they could easily rebuild Gas Monkey Live on that property and just make it like one big entertainment complex with the two venues in one place. And that was the plan until this damn pandemic just kept going and going and going. And then when we came to spring of 2021, they were pretty much telling me, you know, we don't, we haven't even started. We haven't even broke ground or started this thing. And it's still looking like it might be a while and we just don't know. Um, and now here we are a year after that. And like, they definitely never rebuilt or reopened gas monkey live. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of the end of it. You know, like it was an interesting situation because not a lot was said about it and it was completely out of all of our control. So there wasn't much we could really do about it, you know? And it was just such a bummer to like, leave these jobs of eight plus years at these venues and here in Colorado and all the work I've been doing to go do this new thing. And it was all teed up and ready to go. And then just fell apart like that. 
And it was not due to me doing something wrong or the venues or bad business or anything like that. It was just nature of the pandemic. Well, I know sometimes maybe it helps when things like this happen if if you're able to have animosity towards someone. <laughs> but you kind of weren't here, right? It was just like, well, this just sucks. Yeah, yep, exactly. And it was very just like out of my control feeling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just kind of had to roll with the punches and go with it. And that's kind of what I did. So staying in Denver... <clears throat> You'd given up your job, not necessarily burnt bridges, but you'd given up that job you'd had for eight years. I definitely was not going back. You know, I wouldn't okay. say I like burned any bridges, but I will say that when I got out of those clubs, I was I was kind of ready to get out of there. You know, I'd been there for a long time and there was a lot of transitions happening there all the time with different managers and GMs and marketers and different people in the business. And it was always in this constant fluctuating state. And I was the only person that stayed as long as I did, you know, eight, eight years that I was there. And I was, I was kind of ready to get out. I was just ready to move on to do bigger and, and, you know, quote better things. I don't necessarily better, but just bigger, you know, I want to do bigger things. I wanted to, to move on from the small capacity clubs and start booking some bigger stuff and start expanding my career a little bit larger in life. When you, what kind of venues were you booking at first? I mean, when you started Tone Dynamics, when I was, you know, a freshman or sophomore in college or yeah. something, I mean, you were doing very, very small rooms. Yeah, when I was a junior and senior in college, which would have been 2009 and 2010, um, I had just started off booking small songwriter showcases. And so I used to be a musician myself, and I was a songwriter, and I had an electric guitar and an amp, and I had an acoustic guitar, and I had a piano or a keyboard, and I had a PA and microphones, and so I had all the backline gear, and but I was making the transition from being a performer into working for the performers to book and promote them. Mm -hmm. And so I just went into places like the Mercury Cafe downtown Denver and Leela's Cafe downtown Denver, which is no longer there. And at the time I had a hookup because my girlfriend at the time was working at a coffee shop in Golden called Cafe 13. And those were the first three kind of venues, quote venues, you know, that I was in. There were more like coffee shops and stuff like that. But those were the first three places that I got into. And what I would do was just put together a lineup of like five to ten songwriters, put together a poster for it promote it at that time it was my space so i put it up on my space and mm. i go hang flyers and handbills in all the bookshops and coffee shops and tattoo shops and dispensaries and everywhere i could get them um and i'd put all this work in for these songwriter showcases that would probably do like 50 to 60 people you know like nothing nothing too big but it was really fun and i really enjoyed putting my friends together that i thought were so amazing at playing music put them together on a lineup and throw a show with them was just such a good time. And we'd all make a little bit of money doing it. And, and I just enjoyed putting the shows together and promoting them and running them and setting up all my gear and having the musicians play on my gear and watching the crowd interact and enjoy the show. And then at the end of the show, you know, settling up how much money we made and paying out the artists. And it was just a fun, fun process to do. And then after, you know, six, eight months or so of booking these songwriter showcases into these coffee shops, uh, I had this girl, Whitney, who was, I was in school with her for music business, and she was interning at the old Curtis Street Pub, which also is no longer there. But she knew my background and history of punk rock and loving punk and being in a couple punk bands through high school. But she saw me booking these singer-songwriter showcases. And so she approached me and said, hey, I'm interning at Old Curtis Street Pub just to get in at a music venue. And I see you're booking all these songwriter showcases, but I know you love punk rock music. 
have you ever thought about throwing a punk rock show? And I was like, yeah, actually, that sounds super fun. I'd love to try that out. And so I took like three of my friends' punk bands and put them together at Old Curtis Street Pub. And man, I will never forget, like we promoted our asses off for that show. Yeah. Like I worked so hard for that show. I spent so much money on flyers and posters and advertisements. And I think we had like 30 people show up. Uh. But, you know, we're all young, doing it for the first time, just getting into some little dive bar, throwing a show. And that led to doing another one. And 40 people showed up. And then I did another one. And 50 people showed up. And it just kept growing more and more. And then I exhausted my punk bands. And I moved on to, like, some metal bands and some folk indie bands. Um, And I exhausted those. And then I moved into hip-hop and all kinds of different genres of music. And that's when I really started getting like well versed and like, okay, now I've booked all my friends and I've exhausted those resources. What's next? And yeah. that was where I started learning like how to blindly just reach out to bands and be like, hey, this is who I am and what I'm doing. Do you want to play a show with me or with, you know, with me as in like me as the promoter and booker and we'll put some other bands with you and throw a cool lineup and make it work. And bands are really into it. And, uh, so then I was like, okay, I really want to like do this tone dynamics thing and like be a booker and promoter. I'm really liking this. And so I started like organizing all of my stuff. And this is of course the days of college. So I was already like on that tip of getting everything neatly organized into a portfolio for school and stuff like that. And so what I'd done was I just took all of my bands and I put them into a spreadsheet and I put them in by genre, contact information, how many tickets they had drawn for me on shows, little notes about, you know, if they were really good or if they weren't that great, but they drew and amazing and worked really hard on the show, just stuff like that. Um, And then I started going around to different venues around Denver and showing them my portfolio and being like, hey, my name is Tony Mason. I'm an independent booker and promoter. And if you have any open nights in your calendar, I'd love to take it from you and book a show. And I'd open up my portfolio and show them my list of all these genres and all these bands that I had and that I was a college student and I was surrounded by this whole college of people, you know, that were supporting me and what I was doing and wanting to be a part of it. And that's kind of how the Tone Dynamics thing really kicked off. And I started booking shows at Cervantes' Other Side, The High Dive, Three Kings Tavern, uh, I previously mentioned Old Curtis Street Pub. At the time, there was the Rockstar Lounge on 10th and Broadway, which is no longer there. But I was booking a lot of my hip-hop and like EDM and DJ shows there. Um, and I even got to a point where... Like twice a year, I would book a show either at like the Gothic or the Bluebird, and I would just take my biggest and best bands, and I'd put an awesome lineup together at the Gothic or Bluebird, and we would do everything we could to get at least a few hundred people through the doors. Um, and that was kind of the Tone Dynamics thing for me. You know, it was 2008, 9, 10, and just booking up all these venues, putting shows in wherever I could. Um, and then when I graduated college, uh, I got picked up by Herman's Hideaway and Herman's Hideaway, you know, they have been there for a long time. Right. And they, I heard that their booker at the time, Paige Montgomery was leaving to take a new job in LA and they were looking for someone. And so I'll never forget that interview because I went and had an interview with Mike Roth, who's the owner of Herman's Hideaway, him, you know, and his dad, Alan have been owners of it forever. And I remember just blowing him away in that interview, like with my knowledge and my information and my portfolio of everything. And I mean, I basically had like three years of shows and records to show him. To you be just like, did all on your own. Yeah, that I did all on my own. And I had, you know, probably close to 500 bands on a, on a grid that I showed him. And yeah. it was broken down again by genre and contact information and notes. 
And I think I really, really impressed them in that interview of just showing them like, these, these are my resources. Right. This is what I've got to bring to the table for you guys. <clears throat> and so, yeah, then it was Herman's hideaway. And I did that for two years. And so when you're making the transition from being a musician and you're in music school to booking, was that, was that difficult for you at all to switch sides of the stage or was it, did, was no. it all, no, this is what no. I want to do. I, I had always felt in my time playing music that I wasn't that great. And of course that's like everybody's feeling when you play music is that you're not that good. Right. Um, but I mean, I really felt like I wasn't that great. Like I was just a punk rock singer, you know, kind of nasally high, like rah, 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 punk rock music. Yeah. And like, I wasn't that skilled. And I did take like some classical voice training classes and classical piano and stuff like that. And I picked up a few things here and there from it, but I never got good and what really pushed me over the line was just like seeing all of these people around me that were so good and so much better than me. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, I can't even sustain my drive to want to keep practicing and getting better and performing. Like, I would rather work for the people who really are talented and can really sustain their drive to continue improving their craft and becoming a better musician. And like, I kind of yeah, I've kind of plateaued a little bit of just like, all right, I made it to this point in my singing career and I just don't really think it's going to go that much further. And like, I'd rather work for musicians than try to be one. And that was kind of like the ultimate decision right there was just like, I don't think I'm going to make a lucrative career in my future off of being a performing musician, but I think I can make a lucrative career working for skilled performing musicians. And so it was actually kind of an easy transition to not really play much music anymore and, and move to promoting and booking. Right. Right. Well, no, that's, and that's cool. You're talking about how much you liked, you know, paying the bands and putting the bill together and doing the promotion and, and still getting to be in music, still getting to be around mm-hmm. music. Um, so I guess fast, fast forwarding some now, um, and, and please go back and listen to episode 32 for part one of this story. <laughs> Tony's been, this is Tony's second time. Um, you know, we had talked about, uh, starting starting to work at uh, at different venues in town and getting involved with Lost Lake and Globe Hall and stuff. And then the pandemic and you're going to go to, to uh, Gas Monkey. That doesn't end up working out. So you, uh, what I mean, what do you do for a little while? What's your saving grace uh, in the first part of the pandemic? What are you doing once you find out that you're not going to be with Gas Monkey, and you're for sure not going to move to Dallas, what do you end up doing? Well, so uh, that realization happened like July 2020, that it wasn't happening anymore. And I still had high hopes for the following spring of 21, but inside I kind of knew it like wasn't likely and things weren't looking like they were headed in a very great direction. And so July, August, and even into September, I was really just bummed out, man. I had no income. I was on unemployment. I was scraping to get by. I was draining through my savings account. I was having to ask my parents for help beyond that, which was like terrible feeling, you know, to be 37 years old and asking mom and dad to help me cover bills because I was unemployment and it wasn't paying me, you know, that great. And it was a really rough situation to be in especially when everything was just moving in such a great direction. It was like, oh my God, I'm finally going to make really good money and have full health insurance and just be really well taken care of at this job. 
and then to just watch it all like go away i was like oh my god this yeah. sucks and yeah i'm not gonna lie I, I had a couple months of kind of depression you know where it was just like what the fuck just happened to my life like everything was headed one amazing direction and like that it all just 360 and is going the opposite direction like yeah. what happened um and so after a couple months of just being bummed out you know i was like i gotta do something and i never ever would have thought Never thought that you would have brought back Tone Dynamics. Yeah, so 2008, 9, and 10, I was doing Tone Dynamics, and then in 2010 slash 11, when I got picked up by Herman's Hideaway, um, all all I was doing was booking Herman's Hideaway, and I continued doing the Tone Dynamics labels on my Herman's Hideaway shows, but after not too long, it started becoming like, okay, this isn't Tone Dynamics anymore. Like, I came up with the name Tone Dynamics thinking... Tone, a sound, dynamics, a broad spectrum. I wanted to book a broad spectrum of music, and that was the point of Tone Dynamics, was a broad spectrum of music into a broad spectrum of venues. So I wanted to book punk rock shows into punk rock venues. I wanted to book singer-songwriter shows into little cafes. I wanted to book EDM shows into more EDM clubs. I wanted to put the right thing into the right place. And once Tone Dynamics was just kind of becoming like the Herman's Hideaway in-house promoter, I decided just to pull the plug on it because that wasn't the point of Tone Dynamics. And that's when it was like, okay, no more Tone Dynamics, and now just Herman's Hideaway full-time. Mm. Um, that was in 2011. I literally never, ever thought about bringing back Tone Dynamics since then, and I didn't think it would ever happen. <laughs> and then this pandemic happened, and everything kind of got washed away. And so September of 2020, I decided, well... I guess I could bring back Tone Dynamics and just start doing my own independent booking and promoting again because I'm not going to try to go back to my old job. I don't want to be there, and this new job isn't working out, and this pandemic isn't going anywhere. And at the time, we could do concerts with 50 people in one place. And so we do an early show at like 7 p.m. and then a late show at like 9 p.m. and have a band play. We could have 50 people in the venue early and 50 people in the venue late. And so... Um, you know, the, the guys from gas monkey, one of them is Peter Orr, and Peter Orr yeah. is the lead talent buyer for the Oriental and HQ here in Denver. And, you know, he kind of approached me and was like, man, I just feel terrible that we drew you away from your jobs. You'd been at for so long to come do this Texas thing. And then it didn't work out. Right. And he was like, the least I could do is offer you to start booking some shows at our venues here in Denver, the Oriental and HQ, if you want to. And I was like, yeah, I definitely do want to. And so we went over all the crazy COVID rules. You know, you got to have masks. You can only have 50 people in the room. So I just started booking, you know, shows into the Oriental with all these new rules. And I got the invitation to do so in early September. So immediately I just started plugging in some shows. I think my first one was like early October and we could only have 50 people in the room. And we did the double show concept. And I booked a few more shows at the Oriental through October. Um, and then we hit November and they like loosened up the laws a little bit more. And you could have 100 people in the room. <laughs> and it was like, all right. So now we have 100 people in the room early and 100 people in the room late. And if I'm not mistaken, I think even shortly after that, we got to a point where we could have 150. Um, and so we did that for a little bit, still with the early show, late show concept. But then by December of 2020, the government shut everything down again. And then we couldn't have any shows, not even 50 people. And 
So I was like a little defeated feeling. It's like, all right, I just launched, relaunched Tone Dynamics and I started getting into this like COVID safe booking at the Oriental. Um, and then in December, everything got shut down again. And I was like, man, I really don't want to do the live stream thing. I don't, I don't like the live stream thing. Like we're almost a year into this pandemic and everyone's talking about live stream, live stream, live stream. And I watched a couple and I did not like them. You know, they just, they did not have the energy and it was like nothing like being, no one was watching the live streams anymore. Right. I mean, they got old. Yeah, they did. I mean, I guess if you were a really big band, you know, like an arena band, you might have been making some money off those live streams, but definitely no like B-level touring bands or local bands were doing very well financially from it, but it kept us busy. And so uh, I went to this place in Denver called The Armory, and The Armory is like a digital media production and warehouse, and so they have two recording studios, they have jam studios for bands to practice in, um, they've got a bunch of equipment and gear for producing music videos. They do a lot of music videos for bands or for dance and theater. And they do just a lot of like digital production work um, and recording, audio recording and stuff like that. And so they were getting into the live stream world um, and they approached me pretty much asking if I'd want to join them with it and start booking artists into doing live streams and promoting it like I normally would. And so I, I did do that and it was super fun and we had an amazing crew like i can't even believe the crew that we had at the armory because everybody was out of work so we literally had like production managers and camera crew and lighting crew from like red rocks and the mission ballroom and like none of those venues were doing shows or holding or doing anything with their gear so we even like inherited some of their gear with these employees that came with and it's like wow you know none of us were making hardly any money doing it but it was something to do when there was nothing else to do. And like I said, we just had the most amazing superstar team over there. And the live stream thing was super fun. Just bringing in bands, setting up props, giving the performance like a cool vibe to it. And we would do a unique vibe for each artist. So um, like one artist, we had multiple stages set up and they would wander from one stage and do a few songs on it and then wander over to this other stage and do a few songs on it and it made them look like they're in like this crazy alternate universe kind of um we had and we'd also do like interviews with the bands and so we'd set those up in a really unique way too like i remember for colfax speed queen we came up with like a gambling hall one and we set up like a fake little gambling hall in the upstairs of the armory we put the band around the table and make it look like they're like playing poker or pay- playing like some kind of gambling game. And we'd like do an interview with them there. And like, that was the theme of it. And we just, we had so much fun doing it. Um, and that was kind of like December, January, February. And then things started opening up again, but only again, 50 people was all you could do. And so, um, I was kind of doing both the live streaming and the physical concerts. And it was also, kind of a cool time again because i could offer bands like which do you want to do like do you guys want to try coming together at the oriental and bring some people out and do like an intimate performance or do you want to try the live stream thing and not go out in public and just have the team of live stream production crew around and that's it and do it that way um and yeah it was it was a lot of fun hey it was a lot of fun to do Dogs and treats. I know. I I watched both dogs got 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 hey, down on that rawhide. Real I think quick. it only takes them like twenty minutes to finish. I was like five. <laughs> I think the pressure of having another dog nearby. Right. 
sped up the process. <laughs> well, so that's that's really neat. And Sarah Slayton was involved with that. She right? was, yep. 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 She was around and helping us out um, with just like a lot of emails and busy work. Um, she was doing it remotely because she was also like on a COVID-19 response team. And they were doing pop-up testing sites all over, if I'm not mistaken, the nation. Um, so she wasn't like around yeah. in the facility a lot, but she was active on email and like helping us build shows into the website and just helping us keep things updated online. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy to be talking about this now because I can't believe it's been a whole year. Like it's just, it's not as fresh in my mind as I thought it would have been like the whole live streaming and armory experience. Like it's can't believe it's been a whole year now yeah. since that happened. Yeah. Well, so you're finding things to do. You know, I, I mean, I know it, it, it's, uh, you know, you weren't making a whole lot of money from it, but you're finding things to do and, and work with the community and work with the music scene, which is cool. Yeah. But then um, as we got into this year and I, you know, I know Peter Orr, you'd been doing some Oriental stuff and, mm -hmm. and HQ. How did that evolve into what you're doing now? Um, well, you know, so... The tone dynamics thing was just kind of like a hold me over through the pandemic. And I kind of started it with that in mind too. Like I still didn't really think tone dynamics was going to be my future or the next thing. It was more just like, well, I guess this is what I'm temporarily doing until something else happens. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was booking the live streams at the armory in-person concerts at HQ and the Oriental. And then it was like December, January, like January, 2021, when the black buzzard hit me up, uh, Oscar blues, black buzzard on 16th and market. And they asked me if I'd be interested in booking shows there. And at the time I denied it because it's a 280 capacity venue, which is small. And it's in the downstairs area of the Oscar blues brewery restaurant. And it's just a small room with a low ceiling and it's kind of everything. Everyone's tight together. And I didn't feel comfortable at that time throwing events there. You know, I was like, I don't even want to be in this room. Like, I don't want to be in here with 49 other people. Like, you know, when you could do a 50 person show. Um, and so I kind of denied it until things started opening up. I think once we hit like March of 2021 and things started opening back up and we could have like over a hundred people together again, then I took up Oscar blues, black buzzard on booking some dates onto their calendar. Mm. Um, and so that was pretty much all of 2021 for me was ending the live streaming booking the in-person concerts at the three venues oriental hq and black buzzard and then i also took up a secondary job which was a really cool thing for me to do take uh, i took up a job as the agent for the Flowbots, and i've never been an agent before so um you know i, I prefaced that when they asked me if i wanted to be their agents i kind of told them like hey uh i've never been an agent before i i know the industry i know the business i know the lingo of how to you know converse back and forth between agent and promoter booker um, but I've never been on that side of the table and I have no experience at it and I don't have the connections outside of Colorado for it. I've never even booked a show outside of Colorado. And so I kind of told them like, if you're looking for someone to just kind of like fill the hole for this year and book all of your Colorado stuff and maybe some stuff out of state, if it's close by and easy to do, I'll do that for you. But if you're looking for like the next agent that's going to like book your next tour for you, I'm not your guy. Like I'm not, and I, and I didn't want to be, I don't want to like start booking national tours for bands and kind of start all over again from the ground up. I'm like, you know, how do I book a tour for a band from the East coast to the West coast and back and whatever, whatever. So they agreed that, yeah, like, let's just do this for 2021 and you can be like our, our pandemic booker. And, you know, it'll just be something that we can both make a little bit of money off of for the next year. And it was an awesome experience. Like 
we booked our comeback show at Levitt Pavilion, and the night of the show, it got canceled because of lightning, mm. which was a really big bummer. But then we got a reschedule one month later, and then we also locked in a second date uh, over at the Mishawaka. And so we had pretty much two shows in a row then in July, one at the Mishawaka and one at Levitt. And both of the shows were a smashing success, really good time. You know, they were outdoors in the summertime, a lot of people there, and uh, it was awesome. We just had a great, like, relaunch of Flowbots back into the world of, like, yeah. here we are, we're back again doing it, and we did a couple really great shows. Um, and what was the next show after that? Now I can't even remember. We did those two shows, and we had some other ones. Um, oh yeah, we did the Union Colony Civic Center up in Greeley, mm. and then we did the Mesa Theater in Grand Junction, and we did the Metro out in Salt Lake City. Okay. Um, so I mean, you know, I think I booked a total of like seven shows for them in the year, and the last one that we had was the New Year's Eve at the Marquee, and it got canceled the day before because of the Omicron, you know, the yeah, variant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we have that rescheduled for this March. Um, so I'm stoked that that one will pl end up playing off. Good. Um, and then the kind of the goal with me and Flowbots was to just be their agent for just 2021 and then to try to find like a real agent to get them off to. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. We got Alex Fang from New Frontier Touring. He's a super great guy. Yeah. Amazing, well-connected agent. And he approached us asking, you know, what's, what's it look like for Flowbots? Can I be your agent? And they immediately chime me in like, well, Tony's our agent right now, but it's kind of like a one year thing. And the whole plan of this was to get us to a real agent. And so we kind of negotiated all of our terms and agreed on the transition. And so as of January 1st, 2022, I stopped being the agent for Flowbots and Alex Fang took over, which was also great timing because as we came into this fall of 2021, this past fall, I got approached by Bandwagon to start working for them. And oh, here we go. Finally get to start talking about Bandwagon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> My yeah. New here career. we go. Excited about that. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I got approached by Bandwagon to team up with them and start booking shows. And it was really good timing with the ending of Flowbots and making the transition. And can I jump in and say, too, Bandwagon, for people that aren't familiar, they've been putting out a, uh, a paper in, or a magazine, rather, in in uh in fort collins northern colorado for for a long time and uh, for music and you know it's music and entertainment and stuff so um that's that's what they were doing for a long time yeah so bandwagon has really just been the bandwagon magazine which is basically like the westward of northern colorado you know they're like a nightlife and culture magazine they talk about music restaurants fun events happening in Fort Collins, Cheyenne, Greeley, Loveland, Longmont, the whole kind of northern Colorado and up into Wyoming area. And so that's what Bandwagon has been. It's just pretty much been like Bandwagon magazine. And then, you know, they do like Bandwagon presents shows at the Moxie Theater because Eli Corliss is the owner of the Moxie Theater and Bandwagon and has been for a long time. And then as the pandemic hit, he teamed up with this independent promoter based out of Cheyenne, Wyoming named Hamilton Bird. And so... Eli and Hamilton paired up 
And they started realizing like, okay, Hamilton, you've got a few venues up there in Wyoming to book artists into. I've got my venue here in Greeley, the Moxie, like let's work together. And then when they approached me, they're like, and we can maybe bring Tony on board to this and he can be like our Denver chapter of this. And so that way we can pretty much route bands from Denver to Greeley and up through Cheyenne and up into Wyoming and send them off on their way. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, they, they approached me with the job and I saw a lot of value in it and I really liked Eli and Hamilton. And actually one of the first shows that I uh, worked on with them was last summer. At the end of the summer, we had, um, oh God damn it, Sublime, Sublime with Rome, Sublime yeah, cool. and Dirty Heads up at the Terry Bison Ranch. Yeah. And that was like right when they were asking me if I wanted to work for them. They were like, hey, we've got the show coming up. Like, want to get your feet wet and just come like GM the concert with us and be there to like run box office and help out with settlements and, and do all that. And I was super into it and I didn't have a whole lot else going on either. So I went and did that and had a great experience with them. And, uh, we kind of, you know, negotiated my way into what I would accept to be a part of bandwagon. And we came together on mutual terms and, um, everything moved forward really quickly. Like just like that, it was like, okay, now I'm working for bandwagon. And instead of tone dynamics presents all these shows at the Oriental and HQ and black buzzard. Now it's bandwagon presents them. And now we've got all these other venues too, that I can utilize. And they have venues that I work with that they can utilize. And just that quickly, it all came together and it even grew quicker than that. Like at that point we had like maybe eight, venues that we could book into and then once the three of us actually came together and started sitting in an office together it worked out where we teamed up with the owner of uh, the black sheep down in colorado springs yeah and we started getting terms for his room to be able to book shows there and then i just happened to have the Flowbots booked at thanksgiving over at the mace or um yeah, the Mesa Theater and Grand Junction. And I like hit it off with the owners of that room that night. And we just had really great conversation. And they were like, man, like, I know you're here with Flowbots tonight, but we know what you're starting up with Bandwagon. If you guys have shows you want to send our way, let us know and we'll work together on them. And so all of a sudden that opened doors to booking shows out in Grand Junction. Killer. And so now it's like we can book bands, Grand Junction, Colorado Springs, Denver, Greeley, Fort Collins, Cheyenne, Casper, and Sheridan. And that basically routes a band from minus Grand Junction out west. You can route a band from the southernest part of Colorado to the northernest part of Wyoming. That That's, I mean, I-25. You can tour and just kind of jump off I-25 by a few miles. And we dubbed it the pipeline. We call it the pipeline. So we hit people up and say, we've got the pipeline. What Do you want to be a part of it? We can route your band and give you four or five different stops in a matter of four or five days and they're all within like an hour or two from each other and it's super easy but still very much in different markets you know the denver crowd and the fort collins crowd i mean sure if your favorite band's playing in fort collins you'll drive from denver but there's not you know there's a different set you know you're not going to go from uh fort collins to casper you know it's not that far of a drive but you're not gonna you're not gonna do it yep um so that's really cool that you do that now this is all this is bigger bands, right? This is not small indie acts. This is more mid-level. It's a little bit of both, depending on yeah. which way we're going. You know, it's easy for me to continue routing smaller bands and give them like a play down in Colorado Springs at the Black Sheep, which I can't remember off the top of my head the exact capacity, but it's like three to 400. 
Um, and then they can come to Denver and play either like HQ or Black Buzzard. And that's either like 280 or 400 capacity. So it's kind of still in that same ballpark. And then we can send them up to either the coast in Fort Collins or the Moxie in Greeley. And those are both like 300, you know, the coast is like 300, Moxie's like 360. And so here in Colorado, we can still kind of like route these artists. And even if it's the right artist, we could give them some spots in, in Cheyenne and up in Wyoming. But the places we're working with in Wyoming are a larger capacity, more difficult market to draw people out. And we really got to make sure we're booking the right artists that are going to be successful out there. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of artists that I kind of put through our pipeline through Colorado, but then cap it off and don't allow them to do Wyoming because they just simply don't have the draw out there. You know, like I'm not going to book you in Cheyenne, Wyoming, if there's 300 people aren't going to come to see you. Yeah. And, you know, if only 100 are going to come to see you, then everyone's losing money and it's not worth it. Right. Um, but for some of the bigger ones and what's cool about the bigger ones, too, is our bigger venues are majority outside of Denver. So when there's bigger acts playing bigger venues here in Denver, like Bluebird or Gothic or Levitt Pavilion or something like that, we can actually, you know, pick them off and route them on their way to or from Denver into these other venues around us, like Grand Junction or up in Cheyenne. And so it's like, even if we don't get the Denver show, we can still work with them outside of Denver. And mm. so that's been really, really nice too, to have the ability to book a string of shows for a band. But then like, if they already have something booked in one of the cities, like, cool, you can keep that show and we'll book the rest of them. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's a really neat thing. And something that I'm sure a lot of bands already are utilizing, but will continue to utilize and. The pipeline might be a household name, right? In no time at all. Yeah, it could be. You might have to extend it, right? Go up into. Well, I don't know. You get start getting into I ninety territory. Well, yeah, I know, but you know, north. we do have the Mesa Theater in Grand Junction, and that's not on the pipeline. Like the pipeline is from Colorado Springs to Sheridan, Wyoming, all up and down the interstate. Yeah. But then you know, uh, Mesa Theater is kind of like whoop out the other direction, not not necessarily part of the pipeline, but right. still can work really well for routing any band that's coming from the west coast, coming our direction, or dropping in from the north northwest. It's easy for them to hit Grand Junction and then come hit our pipeline. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. Well, so, uh, I mean, are you going to be, um, I mean, did you sign a contract for a certain number of years to do this deal or? No, we kind of just, you know, did it on fair terms and good belief that I'm going to stick with it. Like it's one of those things where if I take this job for six to eight months and then I just dip out on them, they're going to lose a lot of money, you know, because they're, they're paying me they're paying me pretty decent. And if they just invest all that money into me for six to eight months and then I leave, like that's a bunch of money they just paid me and didn't get a whole lot out of it. So right. it would be really shitty of me to just take this job for six months and leave. And I have no intent of doing that at all. And yeah. I'm actually extremely excited about this position. I really, really enjoy Hamilton and Eli as people and as business partners. I really like working with them. We get along really well. And I'm super excited about what we're building right now. And I don't have to go to Texas. You know, like I said, I was so excited about Texas for all those reasons. New food, new people, new job, big yeah, pay yeah. raise, everything that was coming with it. But I wasn't that excited to go to Texas sure. because it's Texas. You know? Well, but now I, I was actually wondering, I mean, because of your connection with Peter and, and stuff and, and you're all still on good terms there. Is there a possibility that that that, that could become part of your network too is a gas mon monkey opens back up that you maybe have another venue you can book things into you know it's not out of the question but at this time it's just so far away from us and far away from our pipeline and what we're doing that 
I don't necessarily foresee it happening, you know, like I don't, I don't know that that it would happen, but it's not ruled out. That's yeah. for sure. Like I'm guarantee that Peter and Alex down there at Gas Monkey would open their doors to me for shows if I was wanted it and bringing them legit shows. But right. at this point, it's like, man, we already have like 15 different venues that we're booking into between Colorado and Wyoming, and it's and that number is growing quickly. Right. Yeah, and so. Uh, Right now, it doesn't seem like a very feasible or logical thing to do, but in the future, it it could. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's also what Peter's for, you know? Like, Peter kind of already had, like, I don't know that he'd really need us booking shows there um, just because it is a large size venue and, and Peter's already doing it. You know, it's kind of like the Oriental Theater here. Like, I'm super excited that I still have the Oriental Theater to book shows into, but it was a lot easier to book that room during the pandemic when you could only have 150 people in there anyways, because that place holds like 800 people. And so now that we're kind of quote, a little bit more out of the pandemic and don't have capacity restrictions, like I don't really have a ton of shows that are doing 800 plus people to bring the Oriental. Um, and so a lot of my shows only do like two to 300 people over there and that's fine for them, but it's not like a smashing home run. And that's why they have Peter or there booking all this stuff there. Cause he's he does, good at it and been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I imagine, I mean, does every venue have a different threshold in terms of what's worth it and what's not? I mean, cause yes. all, all yes. venues, you know, even the the Ogden Theater that holds about thirteen hundred, they have dud nights. Every everybody does totally. from time to time. Actually, I don't think they have very many. But, um, but I, you know, every all venues have that. Is there, um, yeah? I mean, explain how that works. It's, with it's the a threshold. Great, great Would you question. rather have a show or not have a show? Great question for sure. Because at places like the Black Buzzard or the Moxie Theater, which are like a little bit smaller capacity and venues that we are handling all of the booking for um, a little bit easier to get away with a show not doing that well, you know? Or even like if I put a show at HQ, which holds 400 people and it only does 100 people, it's not terrible. They're not shunning me for it. It's not the end of the world. Nobody lost money. It might not have been the greatest night, but it wasn't bad either. Now, places like the Beacon Theater or Wyo Theater up in Sheridan and Casper, Wyoming, those are straight up room rentals for us. And they are theaters and they have big expenses and big costs going on with them. And we basically know that if we have a show ever do under 300 people, we're not breaking even and not doing well. And they only hold 500. So it's kind of like mm. I'm not booking a show at those places unless I am 100% confident it's going to do at least 300 tickets. Um, hopefully 500 and then we all make some money. <laughs> right. So, you know, stuff like that, it's not as easy to get into those rooms, even like the Lincoln theater up there in Cheyenne, you know, they hold 1200 people and yes, they do host some smaller shows, you know, of like Denver local bands that probably only do a couple hundred people up there. Um, but that's not what I want to bring to them. If I'm going to bring a show to the 1200 capacity Lincoln theater, I want to make sure it's a badass show. That's going to sell a shitload of tickets. Right. I don't really want to bring them like a Denver local band. Who's going to draw a hundred people. Sure. Sure. No, that makes, that makes sense. That's all, that's all really interesting stuff. And I'm sure the numbers, um, are different for every venue and <laughs> you know, well, and I also just every keep situation. that thought in consideration too, when, when booking these other venues that I'm not an employee of, and it's not up to me to book those rooms. So it also means I need to make sure I'm like not booking anything in those rooms. That's not going to be impressive or not do that well. Right. You know, like why do I want to try to come from as an outsider into this venue and book a show that's not going to do that great for them. And then like, you know, potentially 
tarnish that re- relationship with them a little bit. So yeah. definitely trying to make sure that every show that I book into the rooms is the right show. And if it's a show I'm a little questionable about that, I put it in the right room and not a risky room. Right. I mean, even for instance, like right now I've got Hunter James and the Titanic booked. Yeah. Amazing local folk at soul where? rock. And I have them booked on February 10th at HQ and then February 11th at the Moxie Theater. Cool. And I tell you what, I would have loved to have offered them Cheyenne, Wyoming on the next day. But I just don't think that band is going to draw anyone in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and especially not hundreds of people that we need. You know, like I could book them and maybe they'd bring 75 or 100 people, but that's not even close to making the mark of what we need. So I still get to, you know, work with like the bands that I want to work with, but it's just a little bit limiting of, like I said, for Hunter James and the Titanic, super stoked I got them at HQ the next night at the Moxie, but I couldn't get them the next night in Wyoming because they're just not like large enough caliber yet. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But then I have like touring reggae band, uh, or no, uh, Big Mountain, but also Demon Jones is what I was thinking of. Demon Jones is like country hip hop music, Demon Jones. And we've got him booked one night at, uh, what is he? He's one night out in Grand Junction, one night in Denver at the Oriental, then the next night at the Moxie. And then we got him the next night up in, uh, up at the Beacon in Casper, Wyoming. And so that's a super cool one where it's like, all right, we're utilizing the pipeline. Like we've got you booked. He's running the circuit. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And that's one that I'm confident will be a good enough show to do well up there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. It was great having sushi with you. Yeah. It was great having our dogs meet and become buddies. It's good seeing you again in person. We haven't seen each other in person in almost two years. So thanks. Thanks for everything. Thanks for I faded out the outro there before the dogs start toiling around the room again. (laughs) That was a lot of fun. I think all my guests should be required to bring a dog over for the interview. Thanks, Tony, for coming on. I sure appreciate, sure appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Um, everything you've done for the Denver music scene and, uh, in a, I guess all of Colorado and now Wyoming folks, if you like what you're hearing, Give this podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to help out in a monetary way, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy, S-Y-D-O-W. And uh, Andy Sido, I can go ahead and pronounce it too. Um, you, you, for as little as $3 a month, you can get some exclusive content and help support what I'm doing. And uh, every contribution goes a long way. That's all for today. I'll see you next week. Bye now.